committed to my students because I believe that they should also have those opportunities of somebody just believing in them and giving them the trust and empowering them to just be great at what they already like. It's almost kind of hard to mess that up. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries. A community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Femcanics, I want to hear from you. I want to get your feedback, and I want to know what you like or don't like about the podcast. You can leave your feedback by calling 614-636-2240. And again, that's 614-636-2240. And who knows? You may hear yourself on the podcast. Laura Salas is in the driver's seat today. She was a co-owner of a successful collision repair company for six years before becoming a professor of collision repair technology at Contra Costa College. Not only is she a professor at Contra Costa College, she is the automotive department chair. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B. coming to you, and I have Laura Salas in the driver's seat today. How are you doing, Laura? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the show. And we were just chatting a little bit before we got started here. And today is day one of, are you guys on semesters? Yeah, we're spring semester day one. Spring semester day one. And here you are on the podcast. And uh, (laughs) nothing like uh, firing up an exhausting day and then launching into a podcast afterwards. So thank you for conjuring (laughs) up what little energy you have left from today and sharing your experiences with the Femcanic Garage community. So thank you very much. Super excited. Thanks for having me again. Now, let's see. We met... Actually, at SEMA, I believe, right? Did we? We might have. Kind of start from the beginning. I was uh, reading through your pre-interview form. And I know a little bit about your story, but let's let's start in the beginning. What, uh, what got you started in this journey in this industry? Kind of a weird transition because I, my dad's been a body technician his whole life and grew up around it. I uh, remember going into, I mean, he, he did a number of side jobs or owned a number of shops. And I remember just being in and out of the shops with him, helping around cleaning. In fact, he tells the story that when he was getting ready to deliver a car, had just done a full detail, pretty big job, actually. And I, I I hear I was about four years old. I don't remember. Um, But he's watching finishing the wash on the other side of the car and I come in with my mom to bring him lunch and he just hears a a, a bunch of tapping and he's like oh you know whatever it's probably Laura playing with some hammers he's coming around the rest of the car to you know finishing up whatever he was doing and walks into me hammering from the headlight to the taillight his brand new finished, ready to deliver. Oh my gosh. 
That's my beginning. I like to say <laughs> that's my beginning in autobiography collision. <laughs> oh my um, good lord! You you know that there is auto body people out there, or anyone who's done detailing listening to this right now, crawling out of their skin. <laughs> cringing. <laughs> I know. I love that story because I would hate to have to tell it about oh, my kids. Oh my so gosh! Much. Now, now, how many how many kids do you have, Laura? Uh, you don't have zero. any. Okay. So when okay. you say kids, you're mm-hmm. referring to the students. Yes. Got it. Okay. I want to clarify that for everyone. Oh, my good Lord. Um, but later on, I guess um, I was in high school and I, was, I wasn't very, I wasn't too much into the auto body or the collision stuff or the painting. Um, even though I grew up with it, it never really caught my attention as something that I felt like I knew I was going to do. When I was in high school, I actually watched my first Indy 500. It was one where Danica led a, a, a number of laps. I had no clue about racing, open wheel racing, none of it. And I was just sitting, I guess, kind of eating breakfast or lunch or whatever, just watching the race. I don't know what it was until this day. I can't explain it, but it just ignited this crazy interest in cars, although my dad had been working on cars his whole life. So I should have been interested in cars long before, (laughs) but it was watching that race. And then I I did a little bit of research on, I wanted to be a race car driver. And I was like, Oh man, I started looking online and, you know, doing all these uh, things and trying to figure out when and where and how and come to find out. I mean, I was 12 years old by then. Um, come to find out 12 in getting into racing is not just crazy expensive, but maybe a little late. Isn't that crazy to think that 12 is late getting into it? (laughs) It is. (laughs) And and I told my mom and I was like, I want to be a race car driver. And she's like, "Um, yeah, sure. Let's do it. Figure it out. We'll make it happen. And then I came back to her. I was like, no, never mind. It's too expensive. Um, I want to be a pit crew person and at the time I didn't know what they did other than change the wheels or what you see like right off the bat from watching the races so I did a little bit more research on that again crazy expensive or you got to go to like engineering school or mechanic school and for some reason it felt unattainable so I said okay plan c so I enrolled in the ROP program auto tech in my high school so I kind of had my mindset on being a mechanic it's like okay I'll do this and I'll go into mechanics. I was there for two years. And within that two year period, we had a lot of guest speakers and got to do a couple of things in the mechanical end to get Jenna Parr, put it all back together. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. I've always felt like I've liked working with my hands. So I was pursuing a mechanical program here in our local community college, Fosman Adams College. Towards the end of my senior year, I was getting ready to go to prom. And I was like, Dad, I need a dress. I want to go to prom. So my dad, in good dad fashion, says, okay, well, you want a dress? You can come work with me for your spring break, and you can buy your own prom dress. I was like, okay, great. Sure, I have nothing better to do for that whole week. So I agreed to go to work with him for a week. The arrangement was you come clean my toolbox or help me organize my stall or maybe, I don't know, help me 
put a bumper on if I need help. But it was super minimal, just my dad trying to keep me busy type stuff. Not necessarily like, yeah, I'll show you how to do collision or paintwork or any of that. So I go in the first day and he worked at a BMW certified body shop. I mean, right off the bat, I can tell that they were pretty spoiled on like the type of equipment they had and the quality of the work. I mean, you could just see it like you didn't really have to know much. It just felt like a good, solid shop. And the project he had happened to be the manager's daughter's brand new three series. And he was replacing the whole unicide, which is from the quarter panel to the a pillar. Uh-huh. So. You can imagine, or maybe YouTube some videos for those listeners that don't know what that looks like, but replacing a unicide is crazy, just removing of panels intensive to where I walked into the project and he had the roof of the car holding with a rod. That's how much of the car was removed from the driver's side. Oh my gosh. I mean, there was just sheet metal nowhere (laughs) um so that was what he was working on that day I was done cleaning his toolbox within like 15 minutes and I was like okay then what am I going to do for the rest seven hours and 45 minutes why don't you help me hold here hold there help me hold the light help me hold this and as as I kind of slowly and this all happened in one day and I'm slowly starting to get more like into the project with him and I end up welding in my first day at work on an actual BMW. Oh, wow. Obviously with my dad's guiding hand. But he's like, here, why don't you put the helmet on? And here's the gloves. And like these gloves are massive. And I can barely hold a welding gun. And this welding helmet is also massive. So he takes my hand and we're doing some plug wells. Um, I can't can't even remember where on the car exactly, but we're doing some plug wells and blink of an eye, it's time to go home. I'm like, holy shit. Can I say shit? I'm sorry. (laughs) No, you can't. Are you kidding me? This is like technicians and stuff. How can you not cuss and be part of that (laughs) community? (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, this is like the most fun I've ever had in my life. And I was so crazy tired. We took public transportation. We took the local train. And I just remember going home and like my legs were hurting. My feet were hurting. I was like, I cannot wait to come back tomorrow and do whatever the hell we're going to do next. But that was so much fun. Laura, where are you based out of? I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area. So his shop is was actually in Oakland. The BMW shop was in Oakland. Nice. Nice. You're working at your dad's shop. You caught the bug. Mm-hmm. The, the, the automotive bug. I'm assuming you ended up getting your prom dress. I did. I got my prom dress and then some, <laughs> and then some. right, right. So you went to prom. What happened after that spring break then? What did, what ended up happening? And what, let me quantify that. Were you a junior? What, what grade were you in at that point? I was a senior in high school. A senior in high school. Okay. So just to kind of yes. bring the listeners along t- time-wise. So you're a senior in high school, you're knocking on the door of graduation soon and having to figure out what do I want to do next? Go ahead and proceed. You, you ended up getting your prom dress. You caught the automotive bug. Even though you've been around it your whole life, it, it just never really took hold. 
but this time right it definitely did what'd you do then so immediate, I mean, immediately coming back to school um, after spring break, I reached out to my counselor and I had heard about like UTI and biotech and stuff like that. Um, and I asked about um, uh, the auto body or collision program. She'd mentioned that our local sister college, Contra Costa College, had a pretty good collision repair program within the Bay area, which it was about maybe 35 miles from my house, as opposed to the closest one, which was UTI was maybe 60 miles from my house. So that automatically was a big plus. I said, well, I don't really want to be driving that far for school. Um, So I came by the college and I looked into the program. It was in pretty high, I mean, it still is, but it was in high demand to where I had to have my BM, my dad's BMW manager write me a letter of recommendation to get accepted because classes would fill really quickly. Um, so I got a spot into the program. I started uh, as a freshman in 2008, right after graduating high school. And um, I completed the program within the two year achieved my associate's degree in collision repair technology. And within that time, I received a couple job offers from a number of shops. I had like three lined up, which when you're, I don't know, at least my experience, when you're like 20 years old and you have three job offers, you're kind of freaking out because you're like, I don't want to say no to any of them, but I don't know which one's right. (laughs) So I had a little bit of that anxiety in the beginning. It's a great problem to have, right? Yeah, but you don't know exactly how to like, I don't know, get around it or make a decision. Just out of curiosity, before we move on, think, what was your process? What did you end up doing? Like, do you recall kind of the process you went through to narrow it down to decide which one? Well, yeah, one of them was working with my dad. And I was like, okay, well, you know, this place is closer to my house. This place, I got direct recommendation from my instructor. And this place is my dad or working under my dad. So I kind of just went with the easiest route in my perspective at the time, which was just apprentice and work with my dad. Since a lot of the, I mean, at least I feel a lot of the uh, mentor mentee processes, like building that relationship and that trust and communication. And I mean, unknowingly of that, I knew I had that with my dad. So I thought, Maybe this might be an easy transition. Um, And actually, now that I teach and I help students find employment and place them, um, I find that that's the hardest piece. It's transitioning them into mentorship. A little later in the interview, I want to kind of dive into that and explore that a little deeper. So I want to pick your brain on a few things because I often get questions around that um, that come in from different listeners and if you're open mm-hmm. to that a, a little later, I wouldn't mind digging into that little a little bit and picking your brain on it. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I, I, I started working my last semester back at BMW with my father. He ended up going to a different shop while I was there and I stayed. And I ended up getting transitioned into the office as an estimator's helper slash CSR helper slash check in the cars person. I didn't like working in the office. In fact, I hated it so much that as much as I love 
working at that shop, I had to make the decision to leave just because I'm, I feel like I'm someone that if I'm not like completely in love with something, I'll just drop it. And I was not in love with working in the office, inlining estimates, filling out forms, stuff to that effect. So I talked to my boss and um, I said, I mean, I hate to kind of sound, I don't know, if, if you don't have a place for me in the shop uh, working with the cars, then I really don't think this is the place for me moving forward. So um, kind of gave him my two weeks notice um, and then went back with my dad to the shop he was at. And I mean, that, that story kind of goes over and over because I transitioned with my dad for most of my apprenticeship or BTEC career. Until we opened up our shop together, and then that's a whole nother chapter. <laughs> you went to multiple shops. How did you guys end up arriving at, let's open our own shop? Okay, so long story short, I had saved quite a bit of money from scholarships that I've received through the program. My dad, in just small talk, I guess, came across a gentleman that had a vacant commercial building, and my dad had been looking to open a shop with a friend for quite some time and the cards just kind of aligned. Um, and he asked, Hey, would you care to come in with us and, um, get the shop started? And at that time I was like 21 years old and I was like, heck yeah, shop owner all the way. Um, so I agreed to help them get the shop going. We did pretty good. We were actually growing fairly quickly, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it was a great experience, learned a lot. I mean, not just technically learned a lot because I had a lot of freedom there. And obviously with my dad's guidance and um, the painter there, which one of my good mentors also, I learned a lot about actual process and the, the, the technical collision repair and paint. And I also learned a lot about the business aspect of it. And the biggest lesson I got it was that Owning a business was just not for me. The level of responsibility and just the level of time it takes away from what I really liked, which was working on the cars, was just not my niche. So that's kind of how that ended. I hear that time and time again. There's this perception of Pinnacle as being the shop owner. And yeah. there there's a lot of paperwork. Oh, my God. It's insane. Like you, you don't get to spend the time doing the thing that you love because you're doing administrative stuff. Yeah. And and I think it, it's it, it's get real clear it, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But understand if if your passion and love is painting or auto body work or mechanical work, you're going to be doing little to none of that when you're the owner. Yep, that's true. Very true. Figure out what your real passion is. And for some people, it is being an owner, and that's cool. And maybe there was a por mm. portion of their life where that was the pinnacle in their love, and maybe they're getting older, and it starts to shift. Yeah. I think, too, for me, I mean, as, as I kind of thought more about it, when I got out of it was, I mean, in my, I guess, in my 20s and having all the energy and, like, excitement about everything, it was just like, like you said, maybe when you get a little older, that's something that a lot of people kind of 
I don't know, end up looking into or end up doing. But I still had so much hands-on and just painting and learning and doing to get out of my system that I want to say that was a big contributor of why I didn't enjoy the business owner aspect. Other than that, I mean, it was a great, great learning experience. How long did you do that with your dad? We owned a shop from 2011 to 2017. Nice. About six years. I mean, that's quite a while considering most businesses, if they're going to fail, fail in like 18 months. Yeah. So (laughs) six six years. Now, um, you did that for six years. Then what? What happened next? I guess towards my fifth or sixth year, I guess into my fifth year there, I I had really realized like, you know what, this is not for me. Um, and having that conversation with my dad, which I, I, I hadn't already, I was just kind of contemplating like, how do I tell him that I don't want to be here? And I wasn't necessarily actively looking to get out, but I was really, it was really starting to circle in my head. I mean, I remember it was a February. I get a phone call, I guess, remind me or let me know through our local auto body association that the position for full-time faculty here in the college for the collision program uh, was going to become vacant um, the following semester because Peter Log, who's who's been my mentor for a lot of years, um, was retiring. They'd asked if I would apply for the position and not thinking anything of it, not even thinking, oh, I want to get out of the shop or, oh, I really want to teach. I kind of just said, yes. I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, send me the application and I'll, you know, update my resume, I guess. And right. <laughs> uh, move forward with that. And I mean, in the process, come to find out it's a very, very, intensive application process. So it actually took about six months to get hired. Oh, wow. Um, But I kind of kept checking off boxes and they kept calling me back for things and interviews and other interviews. And, um, and I just kept moving forward in the uh, hiring process. And I was like, wait, what the heck's happening? Like, it's really going to happen. And I'm over here thinking, I I just did it. Like, what the heck? Like, Sure, I, I won't say no to you, but I don't know if I was ready or I knew what I was getting into. I got actually almost got hired in June. And I say almost because part of the minimum qualifications was that you have to have your associate's degree and six years of experience. So I went through all the interviews and passed those, and I get a meeting with HR. And HR tells me, you actually don't meet the minimum qualifications. You are 14 days short of your verifiable are you me? years of experience. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, bless her heart, HR lady was like, why don't we never have this meeting and you come back in two weeks? And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I took my packet, came back in two weeks, and they ran my paperwork through HR. And yeah, it just, here we <laughs> That's <are>. outstanding. <laughs> Six months. I was like, "Oh my god, are you kidding me?" Yeah, it took a it took a wow. while. That that is pretty intensive. So, what was that conversation like with your dad? I let my dad know I was applying when I finally submitted the application. He was really 
happy. He was very supportive. He was like, oh, my God, yes, good luck. That's, like, make me so proud. So as I move forward and things just boxes kind of kept checking off, um, when I finally got hired, I let him know, hey, remember six months ago I told you I was applying for this? Well, I got hired. And my dad has always been someone to um, encourage you to go for things. And he would probably be the last person in the world to tell me no to something. So he's like, do it. Take some time off the shop. Find out if you like it. We'll hold down the fort. Let's talk when you get back. So that's what I did. I took about four months off, which is the length of the semester, to get my feet wet into the whole teaching and kind of get a feel for what it was, if I liked it or not, if it was for me. My first day of class, I clearly remember, I was not nervous at all. I was nervous the whole prior six months, but the first day of class, I was so excited. I don't know why, but, and I had never spoken in front of a group larger than like three people. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a shift, huh? Pa- panicking. <laughs> At the end of the class, I called Peter, my mentor, and I said, I'm quitting the shop. This is where I want to be. I mean, again, he's one of those people that is just incredibly supportive, too. And the rest is history, as they say, huh? Yeah, I, I went back to the shop and told my dad, like, I really love it. I want to do it. Um, and we, we kind of both kind of wrote it out for a couple of weeks. And just, I guess, both kind of thinking, like, what the next step might be. And we both came to an agreement that I wanted to teach and he didn't want to run the shop without me. So that's why we ended up closing. Wow. And did your dad just work at another shop now? Yeah, he's a he's a um, a body tech at another shop locally. Wow, that and it worked great because he was also feeling the pressures of like business ownership, and he's like, "Man, we should have just done this a long time ago." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With your experience as an adjunct instructor, I, I want to, um, if you're open to it, explore a little bit because one of the things that you mentioned earlier was around helping your students placement and finding mm-hmm. jobs. And I get a, quite a bit of questions really around that. Matter of fact, just last week, I, uh, a, a woman um, DM'd me and it's like, you know, what should I wear and how, just kind of going through some basic stuff. And I imagine you do this often with your students to kind of help prepare them on what to expect. Is that accurate? Go back a little bit. But when I came to teaching, I realized how incredibly lucky I was to have the mentorship and the structure and relationship, most importantly, that I had with my mentor, my main mentor, which was my dad. He gave me a lot of freedom. We communicated well from the beginning. And that really gave me a platform to learn fairly quickly and just, I guess, move ahead in the process just because he would trust me. I mean, he would teach me and supervise me, but also trust me to, I wouldn't say like make catastrophic mistakes or anything to that effect, but learn from my own process. And I find that unfortunately, a lot of things within this industry and 
aren't necessarily aligned to transition students into the floor of the shops. What I mean by that is that a, a lot of shops don't have a mentorship program or a mentorship structure where, I mean, not only are you allowing the students to come in and maybe do a little bit of the technical work, but more importantly, trusting them and gr helping them grow through that. Uh, when I started here and, and helping placing students, I found and I sadly found and learned that a lot of our students were getting placed in positions of like sweeping the floors or washing the cars. And I, I get the I, I understand, uh, you know, starting at the bottom of the totem pole and moving your way up. But these students were a lot of times getting stuck in those positions for an extended period of time. And I thought. You've gone through two years and put in all the time and putting all the effort and spent all the money to prepare yourself. And here are these shops that aren't valuing that. You know, you don't see nurses going into hospitals to sweep the floor. You know what I mean? Like Absolutely. these students are definitely as technically introduced as they possibly can. And you're going to hand them a broom and a hose like that just didn't make any sense to me. So, yeah, my my nephew is a vet tech and he's doing his internship right mm -hmm. now and he's getting hands on experience. It's not just holding the dog yeah. or like he is doing the work and, um, you know, giving the shots and, and they're really involving him. It, that's a great call out. Yeah. And, and and we're kind of in the process of actually um, participating in a pilot program where we're going to be placing students as they are in school. So, you know, like a lot of the medical industries have this already where they'll have internships or externships or practicums where our students are coming to, to school and getting credit to go to work at the same time as part of the program. So what that'll do is it'll introduce them not just to the shop and the processes of the shop, but really the shop culture, getting them kind of an idea of, of, of how things run in shops, the pace at things run in shops, the expectations of completing jobs, um, completing, completing jobs at highest quality and in a timely manner. And the goal of that is so that our students in the completion of the program are permanently placed in positions or technical positions. So whether it's uh, BTECs or uh, preppers or paint helpers, um, or even, you know, going into the spray booth and actually spraying, as opposed to, you know, washing cars for a year or cleaning bathrooms for a year, or, you know, whatever. It just seemed like a disservice to the students and the industry, really. I agree with you. Now, let me ask this. When a student goes in for an interview, what do you recommend that they do and have with them? How should they dress? What should they take with them? What What do you coach your students to do? The biggest thing, because um, we have advisory industry committees, uh, committee meetings um, every six months. So we invite industry over to our program and just kind of pick their brain out. What are you looking for? You know, what do we need to update? What do we need to work on? 
what do you need our students to be ready for when they leave here? And most of them will agree that the technical skills are, are definitely a plus, but are not the initial requirement. They, we, we recommend and we try to get our students ready to be able to show the soft skills, the communication skills, you know, coming in there into an interview and looking at somebody in the eye or, you know, making sure that you're shaking somebody's hand and obviously, you know, dress appropriately. Maybe the saggy pants can take a break that day or um, the oversized, you know, clothing can probably take a break the day of the interview too. Um, But it's mostly just being able to have the soft skills be open to to learning that's really what they look for and i tell all my students you know we try to run our programs to mirror real world so they have to come in on time they have to dress with their uniform and stuff to that effect and i just continuously try to encourage them to keep open communication with the instructors you know if you're going to be absent send me an email or um if you're going to maybe running late or whatever, you know, try to send either a text message or an email or just some sort of notification, uh, clean up after yourself, uh, learn your tools, learn your toolbox, have appreciation for, you know, the, the tools, the toolboxes, the equipment, and be engaged in the repair. You might not know, you know, from A to Z exactly what the steps might be, but learn and we teach them how to, you know, read the procedures, read the instructions, follow the instructions of the material, stuff to that effect. So it, it's really more of what what, empo- what we find that employers want to see is students that are ready to be honed into the demands of the actual repair itself. If that makes sense. No, it does. It, it's it's about keeping up with the pace and the speed. And the yeah. the technical piece is important, but if you graduated, there's an assumption being made there that you have the technical skill. You have the other skills, though. Yeah, and that that's I think what we put a, a big weight on is definitely exactly like you said. If you're graduating pro- for the program, it's probably a given that you know the content. But, you know, how do you apply yourself? How do you apply that to your work and your and your work ethic? Can people work with you? You may be brilliant technician, yeah. but if you're an asshole and no one wants to work with you. <laughs> I'm gonna put that on my yeah. suit. <laughs> Don't be an asshole. <laughs> Don't be an asshole. <laughs> but I yeah. mean, there's truth to that, right? I, I've, I've seen brilliant people, but they're so difficult to work with. It's like all that skill and knowledge is for naught because the reality is, is you can't do everything by yourself. At some point in time, we all need help. And really the shop environment is a big, it's just a big team. You know, the paint shop can't run without the collision side and the collision side can't and vice versa. And, you know, there's a parts delay, everything gets stuck and it's just really a a big team. So, yeah. That's where the importance of of communication comes in. This is a fascinating question that comes up. What do you recommend they wear? And does the attire they wear to an interview change if it's like a dealership versus a small mom and pop shop? We try to um, 
give them a little bit of, of some pointers on what to wear. I mean, obviously, like I said, you don't want to be wearing like pajamas or like maybe your most comfortable street clothes. Uh, we do give them uniforms here at the program or a uniform shirt. So they're encouraged to wear that in their interview. I mean, you know, obviously on the resume somewhere probably states that they went to Contra Costa College Collision Program. But there's a number of shops here locally that actually know our program. And when they see the shirt, it's kind of like, oh, you went to CCC. So wearing the shop shirt, it's definitely one thing we encourage. In terms of dealership versus mom and pop, I would probably say just because of the structures of the dealership, um, the mom and pops are probably a little bit more laid back in all aspects. You know, it, it kind of depends on how the, the independents like to run their shops. I've gone to independent shops that have a pretty high standard in terms of like what everybody wears. Everybody's wearing uniforms. And I've gone to really, really good shops also where, you know, people just kind of show up on their regular clothes. So it varies, but I mean, first impressions are definitely a big deal, especially early on. So we definitely encourage them to wear a shop shirt or some good pants and a nice shirt. And, you know, the rest should really be focused on that handshake and can you keep the eye contact. So Yep, just basic stuff. I love it. I yeah. tell you what, Laura, if you're ready, I think we're we're going to launch into the red line round. And what the red line round is, is it's just five rapid fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer to it. It's whatever pops into your head. It's the right answer. You ready? Do it. All right. Who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? Oh, my God, my father. My dad has always been kind of like my go-to guy as a mentor. Uh, I've recently have met women. I've never really met women in auto body and paint, like within the last year. Or so I've been like super excited and motivated by other women. Some of the uh, work Bogey has done with the rebuilds. Um, so I would say super cool, isn't it? Yeah, man, it's, it's crazy. Um, I was so starstruck just from like being in the same room with all these with all these ladies. It was awesome. Um, and my mentor, Peter Lau, here at the college, I think I told you last time, but I, I binge listen during my winter break, most of the episodes that I might be backed up now, but most of the episodes you had done. And I just, I must have cried on some of them because everything's just so inspiring and just so awesome to hear and to learn and to know about these women's experience that it almost like belittled me thinking like I've had this the most amazing journey between him and my dad I think I probably owe them my life and career <laughs> that's awesome Laura where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck well I know my mentors are phone call away so if they're not available. Um, I, I do a lot of like the YouTube stuff. I think a lot of the manufacturers have a lot of great resources online already. Definitely Instagram or like the social media. I follow a number of professionals and just watching their videos or, you know, going through some of their content and, you know, whether or not I might be working on something similar, it definitely sparks ideas for me to like 
think about in the future. But I, I would say in terms of getting just initial answers or, or quick answers, I'd usually either go to YouTube or call my dad. <laughs> right on. It's a walking, it's a walking uh, auto body pedia. <laughs> That's awesome. What excites you most about what you do? Oh, so if I don't say the students today, I'd be lying. Definitely the students. I, I love coming to class and and seeing and just kind of progressing through the class and seeing that aha moment when they've completed something, a, a project or a full repair, you know, whatever that may be. And, and also seeing their transition from the beginning of the two years to when they graduate. And they're almost completely different people in terms of like how they carry themselves and like their confidence level. I find that super rewarding and a hundred percent working on the cars. I mean, I try to keep as, as busy with a project as I can to some degree Uh, last or this winter break last the last two months, I'd gone back and worked with my dad at the shop he's working at now for no crazy reason other than I just wanted to get back into a shop and get my hands dirty a little bit before I came back to, to teaching. That's that's outstanding. Laura, what is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in the industry when you feel stuck, unsupported or discouraged? Maybe I've been lucky and maybe never felt unsupported. I will admit that I have a great and I've had a great support system from the beginning. Um, and I know I'm uh, from listening to previous or some of your previous interviews. Such eye opening to know that that is not always the case, especially with the women in the industry and even sometimes amongst each other. But I'm very lucky to have had that through my journey and. I appreciate that more than ever today as I not only hear it from in interviews, but see it with my students, my actual practice and getting into the body work and the paint work. Um, I love a challenge. So I feel like I'm, I've always been someone to approach my work with, I don't know, too much excitement if that's possible, but I don't necessarily feel stuck. It's almost like, you know, how are we going to figure this out kind of mentality? And I mean, like I've said in my previous answers, I'd probably call my dad or something. Right on. But, Finally, what is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in the skilled trades industry? Man, I, I, I'm trying to think of ways not to answer this cliche, but it's really about a, a, about passion. I mean, I got into this the second I felt the bug and I just moved forward with it from, you know, going back to school and trying to figure out how do I get my foot in a program to being in the program and deciding, you know, where do I get my foot in the door to really just going out and reaching, reaching out to people. It's really a great industry in all aspects in I can't really, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like for me, it's always revolved around my passion for it. And I've gone forward with it no matter what. And I've come across the negative 
comments or people doubting my people doubting me. I mean, it, it got to the point where I had a gentleman tell me, you know, this is an industry for men. Like you, you don't need to be here. Um, wow. And I kind of just brushed that off. I, I would say and at the moment, it didn't really mean anything to me because I was just so laser focused and like, I love this so much. I, I really don't care what anybody else thinks. So there's a lot of, and, and I've been learning recently. There's a lot of great women in the industry that if you're, if, if you're someone that, you know, this is something that you'd want to get into. Oh my God, please reach out to anybody, any of us. Uh, I'm pretty sure any of us that's been in your podcast would love to help or give maybe some additional advice or you know anything to that effect but it's really just about moving forward with it no ifs or buts go for it and you just brought up an interesting point as I'm thinking about it and you you talk about it so fluidly and you know just like what you said you haven't ran into a lot of the challenges that you've heard some other women run into but how have you been received by the, I imagine the majority of the uh, students that it, that enroll in your program are probably male, I'm, I'm assuming here, but yes. how are you received? I've never fe- at least felt any um, negative reaction uh, with me being a woman. Maybe in the beginning, like my first semester, I thought, oh, you know, like, what are they going to think? Or how are they going to feel me coming up here and, you know, telling these guys or these young men uh, or talking to them about automotive? Like, but that also, it was something that I've never really let get to me. because I know it exists and it's just a part of, I guess, society today. I don't, I don't want to say I haven't experienced it. It's just that I've never really acknowledged it to myself or have gotten to let it get to me. Um, you just move past it. You move through it. Yeah. And it, it, it's also just kind of felt so natural for me to not give a shit, honestly, that I just move forward. I mean, no, <laughs> you can say all you want to say about me being a mm-hmm. woman, but I can... No, it makes. I love it so much. I can't. It makes sense. It goes back to what you're saying before. It's it's the passion. You become hyper focused and laser focused on your passion and your love for it. That it doesn't matter what other people's thoughts or opinions are. Yeah, and to the point where I had a manager um, admit to me at some point that he'd hire me out of curiosity. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting comment. And then you know, I didn't make anything of it until years later and I thought that was a really fucked up comment like yeah totally that almost sounds illegal (laughs) (laughs) yeah like it it could be a but he he hired me and I did great and they were you know when I put in my two weeks notice they were very they weren't happy I was leaving but you know wow whatever yeah that's interesting so Laura where and how can people connect with you so the easiest way to get a hold of me for sure through my email it's L Salas, S-A-L-A-S, at ContraCosta.edu. I have social media, but don't keep too much up with it. Uh, but you can find me on Facebook under Laura Salas and Instagram underscore underscore Laura Salas as well. 
and I'm pretty good at getting back to anybody. So if there's any ladies out there that have any questions about getting your foot in the door, moving forward, coming through some problems in your process, shoot me an email, shoot me a, a, a DM, whatever. Hit you up. I would love to to share my experience or some advice. Love it. Love it. Super excited and so happy to have you on the show today, Laura, and welcome to the Femcanic alumni. You are now officially Femcanic alumni. <laughs> Congratulations. It's like a little little uh, community here. My name is Laura Salas. I am a professor of collision repair and I'm a Femcanic. Joanne Bortles is in the driver's seat next. She has owned and worked a custom paint shop for almost 40 years. Joanne shares stories about growing up in the 60s and 70s with all of the amazing cars from this era. You will not want to miss going down this memory lane, all while getting profound knowledge bombs. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribed for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a Femcanic?